going on everybody it's your boy b day back for another podcast episode this time i'm going to be covering the atlantic division in the east and the last one if you guys haven't watched or listened to that one um i talked about the pacific in the west that covered the lakers clippers warriors phoenix suns and kings and the atlantic division consists of the nets 76ers knicks the Boston Celtics, and the Toronto Raptors. Um, so if there's any confusion about who was in the Atlantic Division to cover it there, um, we talked with the same structure last year's team. Uh, we talked about the transactions they made this offseason, both additions and subtractions that I think will actually matter. Uh, I touched on the style of play I think that these teams will generally have and um, in a couple of examples, I talk about the style of play I would want for the team to be a little bit more sustainable um, over a course of a regular season. And then lastly, I uh, make my, you know, projections, predictions. Uh, and I, I touch on a big question for every team uh, going into this year. So without any further ado, let's get into it. So the first team we're going to cover here, let's not bury the lead. Let's talk Brooklyn Nets. And obviously, you know, there's been a little bit of uh, controversy, a little bit of headlining news, whatever you want to call it, with the Kyrie Irving situation. Uh, The Brooklyn Nets have pretty much dismissed him from the team until he is um, willing to go get vaccinated. You know, um, they're basically saying, hey, we don't want any part-time employees. This is a full-time job. And um, for those who don't know, you know, if, if you're unaware, uh, the city of, um, or the state of New York, I'm sorry, has basically said, hey, home games played here. You must be fully vaccinated if you're a, a member of the team who plays here. Um, that includes the Knicks and the Nets. And then um, the same thing goes for San Francisco and now L.A. So the Warriors, Lakers, Clippers are dealing with the same thing. If you're not vaccinated, um, there is a law in place to where it's like, hey, we can make that to where you can't play, you know. So the question I had was, um, you know, before we talk about them last season, is just does this actually is this actually a good thing for them? You know, like. And, and and let's 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 just let's just break into it right now, right? So last season, uh, in a short seventy-two game season, they finished forty-eight and twenty-four, which was good for second in the East. A historic, and I don't mean that hyperbolically. Like it was literally a historic offense. Uh, they had a hundred seventeen point six offensive rating, which is the best in NBA history, um, like by a couple points. Per, and uh, for offensive rating, what that basically is is the amount of points you score per hundred percent per hundred possessions. So, on average, they were putting up one hundred eighteen points uh, every hundred possessions of offense. You know, which is insane once you factor in turnovers count in the possessions of offense and things like that. Um, and then defensive rating, obviously, is how many points you allow in a hundred possessions. Um, and that's where they struggled. They were 22nd in defense last year. And they ended up losing to the Milwaukee Bucks, as is well chronicled. Game 7, 
No Kyrie in that series. James Harden gets hurt in like the first minute of the series. Comes back for five, six, and seven, but it's just nowhere near, you know, healthy enough to make a real impact on the team. Uh, so, you know, in a sense, I feel like obviously with Kyrie Irving, they would be the overwhelming clear favorite. The only way they could lose is if two guys got hurt like they did last year and, you know, or if one guy got hurt, but the one guy was Kevin Durant, that's the only way they wouldn't win the title. I really feel that about this Nets team. If they were healthy and fully whole would be like this year, they would be the overwhelming favorite, you know? Um, but as far as their transactions go, I like their off season. They did lose Jeff Green, Landry Shamit, and then quotation marks, I guess you can say they lost Kyrie. Um, you know, based on his situation, what's going on right now. But the additions, man, were really shrewd and, and really smart, in my opinion. You gain guys like Patty Mills, who can be a, a very good, you know, 70% of Kyrie. Obviously, he's not going to have the, the sauce and all the handle uh, to, wow, to wow you and break down defenses in that manner. But he keeps the same amount of spacing that Kyrie provided. You know, he's not a ball stopper. He'll move it from one side of the court to the other. He plays, he tries hard defensively. He's not a great defender just because of his size and some of the physical limitations, but he tries his butt off. He can be a pest. Uh, he knows how to play. He's been in big leverage, big high leverage games. Uh, they got Paul Millsap. Again, same type of guy. He's not Jeff Green in the sense of his athleticism and the sense of being able to guard three through five or anything like that, like Jeff Green could. But he's just a smart guy who's been in high leverage games, knows how to play. Um, you know, he's a veteran who, who can provide something different. You know, if the offense ever does bog down, which it rarely does because I just mentioned how historic they were, you know, he can be a guy who you just dump it down in the low post two, two times a game, three times a game when, when things are just kind of – not functioning at a high level, and he can get you a bucket or he can get to the free throw line. Uh, other guys they've added were like Javon Carter from Phoenix, um, really good ball pressure point guard, um, shoots it at a pretty good clip. And then James Johnson, who literally can knock out anyone in the league, black belt in martial arts, undefeated record in martial arts, um, if I'm remembering that correctly. So basically, don't pick a fight with that guy uh, because he can, like, literally kill you if you wanted to. Um, and then they, I love their draft picks. Cam Thomas from LSU, which, for those who don't know, is just an absolute bucket. The guy reminds me of, like, a young J.R. Smith in the sense that he didn't meet a shot he didn't like. If he can see the rim, it's probably going up unless KD or James Harden are wide open. He's probably going to take that one. Um, and then Dayron Sharp from UNC, just a big energy guy, uh, big physical, strong, big man. And, and those are the type of players, you know, that the Nets need. Some people that just kind of eat up some innings when Durant rests, when Harden rests, um, you know. And and I think this team is going to be great, man, with or without Kyrie. With Kyrie, if he ends up getting vaccinated or if they ever decide to take him back or whatever happens with him. I think that's when they become unstoppable. But even without a man, I, I see this being a, 
one seed, if not the one seed, it's, they're the two seed because um, they rested KD a little bit more than we expected. Their offense is just too good, man, you know, and, and that goes into my general style of the team. They're going to play a fast up and down tempo kind of game. They want to create more possessions um, because they feel, and rightly so, that you can't score with them, you know. For as bad as their defense was, you know, it seemed to not matter as much in the playoffs until Harden and Irving went down. Um, and when those guys are really locked in, they can be average defenders and they can and just be smart, you know. And, and you saw that in that Bucks series, man. Like, there were times where the Bucks could not score the ball. And, you know, did part of that have to do with their half-court offense? Sure, but part of that also had to do with the Nets' half-court defense funneling, switching, things of that nature. Um, so they're going to play a high up-tempo game. You know, defense will be optional on most nights. Whenever they need to kind of really lock in, I think they have a few more capable players this year. Javon Carter, who I mentioned, might be able to finish some games. That Harden and Durant don't play. Patty Mills, like I mentioned. Um, even a guy like Paul Millsap, man, if, if, if Blake doesn't have it one night, you can – put Paul Millsap in and it's no big deal. Um, I really like this team, man. And I think their projection should be the NBA title. I, I think they should win it. Um, if you tell me James Harden or KD get hurt, obviously my prediction, my prediction changes uh, just based off the fact that, you know, that's two top 10 players in the league. If you take one of them away, it's going to be a lot harder to win. Um, but, you know, their logic is smart. You know, they went after three stars in the insurance that if one gets hurt or in this case doesn't get vaccinated, uh, there's two more stars there, you know, and their role players, I, I believe, are just as good, if not slightly a little bit better than they were last year. So very high on this Nets team. And I think their ceiling, obviously, is the title. They, they should win the title if all things are created equal, which they never are in the NBA. And I think their floor even is – Eastern Conference Finals, whereas, like, if you tell me there was an awful situation with the Nets and, and the distractions were too much or injuries were a concern or they just never quite figured out the defense at a level that was passable, then I still think their floor is probably Eastern Conference Finals where they maybe lose to Milwaukee um, or something like that. But I'm very high on this team, obviously, and I think it's title or bust. All right, so the next team I have here is the Philadelphia 76ers. And, you know, started with these two teams because obviously they were uh, the two best teams from this division last year, but also because they're the two teams who have been in the news the most this season, this offseason. Uh, Philly last year was 49-23, and 23, best record in the East. And they were probably uh, average to a slightly above average offense last year. Um 113.2 offensive rating, which is good for, if I remember correctly, that 12 to 13. But they were second in defense, only giving up 107 points per 100 possessions. And, um, you know, this team has a Ben Simmons dilemma. You know, whatever you want to think about how he played in the playoffs, which I'm on the record of saying he was awful, he was atrocious, he was the sole reason. Not the sole reason, he was the main reason that the Sixers didn't advance to the conference finals. And and if you ask my honest opinion, I actually weirdly think it's, it's, it's weird to say now with the hindsight that we have, 
but I weirdly think he's more equipped for a series against Milwaukee than he was against Atlanta. And that's weird to say, you know, they have Giannis, finals MVP, they have Drew Holiday, they have Chris Middleton. I just think he would have had an easier time trying to fit into that series. And I actually think that the Sixers team as a whole is a little bit more equipped to handle that big Bucks team than, than they were the uh, Hawks who, you know, had a lot of shifty guards, Trey Young, obviously, Bogdanovich, uh, Huerter. I think they were just a little bit better equipped to deal with the size because that's their calling card is having size at all areas. You know, you look at Joel Embiid, who's their anchor. You look at Ben Simmons, 6'10 guard, who's top three in defensive player of the year votes last season. You look at Danny Green, a big shooting guard, 6'6", 6'7". Seth Curry's their smallest guy, but you need him out there for spacing. And then you could run, you know, if you want to get super defensive, Matisse Tybull and and, and, and uh, you keep Tobias Harris on for some offense, you know. So, like, there was options, I think, for them like, if they would have matched up with Milwaukee. Obviously, that didn't happen. Ben Simmons goes into a, a, a cold sweat um, every time, you know, he talks about – you see a, he sees a free throw line or a three-point line. Um, this team, to me, man, they have a Ben Simmons dilemma. And he obviously reported back to the team yesterday after losing some money which I have to say for the record, I am very pro player, but I am also very glad that the Sixers stood firm, said, hey, man, you have four years left on your deal, like under contract. Right now you're breaching your contract by not showing up and not even being ready for the season. So we're not going to pay you. You know, I I respected that from the front office standpoint because it could have set a really bad precedent if they didn't hold Pat. And, you know, who knows? That doesn't necessarily mean he won't ever get traded or he won't get traded next year or maybe this year. But just the fact that they didn't give in to his initial demand uh, was a big step for, you know, keeping somewhat of a balance, even though, you know, you could argue the league has always been tilted a little bit more towards the owner. Obviously, you know, um, I think the NBA does a great job of, giving the players more of a voice than most leagues. But yet and still, man, these guys, they can't have it every single way. You know, I know they drive the product. I know they're the reason we watch the games. But if you have four years left on your contract, man, and you're not happy, but they don't want to trade you, they don't have to trade you. And it's your obligation if you're getting paid those big dollars they're not paying you those big dollars just to be on the team. They're playing you to play. So that's kind of where I'm at with that situation. Um, they picked up guys like Andre Drummond, Shaq Harrison, George Niang. Uh, I think all three of those guys could probably crack the rotation. None of these moves were very, like, good, in my opinion. Shaq Harrison might be fun. You know, he's a good ball pressure guard who can hit a corner three every now and again. They drafted uh, Jaden Springer. Have Aaron Henry from Michigan State, who I like. Lost Dwight Howard, who is an upgrade over Drummond, in my opinion. Trust me, I'm a Laker fan. I saw the limitations Andre Drummond has. Some of the, we'll just call it boneheaded plays that he makes. And I know that's rich to say, like, hey, Dwight Howard does those same things. But 
I think Dwight's a little bit more self-aware of what he can't do. And um, I actually think he was a very good backup big in the games that Joel missed, in the games that Joel played. I, I actually think he was solid, you know. George Hill, um, they let go. Man, I, I'm i torn on this team. If you ask any of my friends, I've been high on the Sixers for about three years, probably since the 2018 season. I, I've been high on them, man. And, and and there's always good reasons. So they defend hard. I love when MB gets it in the post and just dominates his matchup. You know, they have a real old-school kind of feel to them, and I think that's their general style of play is play through Joel, flank him with some shooting, Seth Curry, Danny Green, Tyrese Maxey, I think will get a lot more run this year and be a lot more impactful and influential into this team's success ultimately. Uh, shout out to the DFW, you know what I'm saying? And I think I think Joel Embiid, in my opinion, just off of sheer two-way, what team relies on one player the most, both ends of the court, I think Joel Embiid has got to be in that top three in that in that sort of qualifier, you know. I'm thinking of guys like Giannis. I'm thinking of guys like KD. But even KD, you can say, hey, man, you can just spot up at the corner if you want. We have James Harden. You can let him cook for a quarter, and, and we won't suffer. Joel Embiid is a spot-up shooter or doesn't get involved offensively. That Sixer team goes from middle of the pack offensively to not a very good offensive team. Um, and then obviously the defense, he anchors that thing, man. Seth Curry, Danny Green, these guys aren't the fleetest of foot to hang with the perimeter guys. But they know they can play up. They can gamble and, and be in passing lanes because they know they have Joel Embiid behind them. You know, it's a similar thing to Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, Joe Ingles, those guys in Utah. They know. Hey, man, we don't have to be great defensively. We need to be positionally sound. We need to stay on the top of these guys and force them to drive because we have Rudy Gobert behind us, you know. And then Joel, I think, is the same thing, man. So I, I think in terms of just sheer two-way, we need to lean on this guy every night to get the the best out of our team. I think he's got to be in the top three or four players in the league in that sense. And um, they're going to defend at a high level, you know. That second in defensive rating is not a fluke of any sort. Matisse Thibel is one of the top five defenders perimeter in the league. You got Joel, who I just mentioned. If Ben comes back, that's another top five defender perimeter. Um, I really like Danny Green for his position, guarding twos and threes. He can do that. And, um, you know, I think that's just kind of going to be who they are. They're going to rely on Joel a lot. They're going to rely on their defense win games, low scoring, and then the games that their shooters shoot well is when they're really, really tough to beat, man. Um, I think the East has gotten a lot better this season, uh, especially at the top of it. So for that reason, I think they will slip. They won't be the one seed anymore. I don't think they'll be the, even the two seed. I think their ceiling is a three seed. Um, and that's absolutely ceiling of ceiling. In my opinion, I think they'll finish fourth. Um, about a team uh, behind Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Atlanta, and some sort of those orders. I think at best they do his fourth this year. If everything goes right and Ben is back and doing his thing, I could see third. Um, but I, ultimately, man, I think this is going to be a wasted season, kind of underwhelming one due to 
Simmons either getting traded or being having the Ben Simmons distraction or the East just getting better as a whole, man. Sometimes it's not your fault that uh, that you slipped in, in the conference. Sometimes everyone else just got better and you stood still. And that's kind of where I'm at with their with their team this year, you know. I think their top-end players are going to be, they're, you know, reliable in terms of Joel. They're starting five, Tobias, uh, Seth, and Danny in, in terms of just a, a regular season output. But in the playoffs, man, they had the same limitations, and I'm not falling for it again. So I'm going to say their ceiling is a four-seed, second. All right, so the next team we're talking about, hometown team. Go, New York, go, New York, go. The New York Knicks. Uh, last year's four seed in the Eastern Conference. I ended up losing in five games to the Hawks in the first round. Um, and they lost mainly because of the problem they had all regular season last year, which was their offense. They finished 22nd in offensive rating in that series. It was an absolute slog of Julius Randle isolations where he couldn't score. Um, and ultimately their defense slipped just a little bit, and that's all it takes um, when your offense is that bad. It's just a slight slippage in a top five defense, um, you know, for you to get 4-1, you know. And I think ultimately, as I'm about to talk about their transactions, I think this problem will be addressed um, somewhat and and it could hurt the defense that finished fourth last year in the NBA in defensive rating. It could slip to like seventh or eighth, but I think that's a worthy trade-off over a course of a regular season where I saw Julius Randle just getting force-fed, mid-range, post-up, and, you know, isolation situations on the left side of the court where he has to jack up tough step-back threes and tough mid-range twos. And to his credit, he made a lot of them last year. But I'm a huge process over result type of dude. And that process, just giving him the ball at 17 feet or 22 feet and just saying, hey, create. There's six seconds left on the shot clock. Julius, save us again. Julius, save us again. It, it's not sustainable. It's just not sustainable. Um, I, and that's not a knock to Julius Randle. That's not a knock to, to, to his development as a player and his growth as a scorer. It's just the fact that defenses when they have, they can just put all their attention on you and there's no sort of ingenuity or flow to your offense, it's hard to sustain that level of shot making, you know. We've only seen guys like KD and LeBron and Dirk in 2011 and these type of guys, Kobe, you know, who could just every play after play after play get an ISO in the mid-range area and just make a good decision or a smart play or make a tough shot. It, it, it's hard to do over a course of a season, man. So their additions, I think, helped them a lot. The biggest names, Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier come in. They also uh, drafted Quentin Grimes, who I really like, out of uh, UH. And then Miles McBride out of West Virginia, I believe, who's going to be a very Thibodeau type of guy. He plays hard defense. He can shoot the ball. Quentin Grimes, same kind of thing. He's got a lot of physical tools to be a great defender. And he has just... A little bit more natural, like, offensive talent than most of the guys on this roster. Just in terms of what he can do with the ball in his hands. He's got kind of that little shift to him in his game. So, I like those moves, you know. 
does Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier instead of Alfred Payton and Reggie Bullock hurt your defense? Of course. I'm not a fool. I know that. But do they also drastically improve your offense over a course of a season? Absolutely. Kemba Walker, for as bad as he was last year in Boston, he can score the ball. He can facilitate out of pick and roll. Evan Fournier, for as bad as he was in Boston last year, he can shoot the ball. He can provide more spacing than he had last season. And ultimately, that's what you're looking for around Julius Randle, you know. So now when you do go to those isolations and those post-ups, because they're not going to just go away. I'm not suggesting that you go from 30 ISO touches to zero. But if you can go from like 30 to like 14 or 15 and be more efficient in those ISO touches, all of a sudden you have a really good team and a really good offense. And I think that's what could happen. You know, Kemba, it's hard to help off of Kemba Walker defensively because he can shoot the ball well enough. Evan Fournier, I just mentioned, uh, the Olympics, he kind of really showed again who he could be in um, on a good team. And I think that's what the Knicks are. They can insulate him with defensive talent. R.J. Barrett, I expect to take another lead because he's a grinder. That is one thing about R.J. Barrett. He worked his butt off. He could not shoot to save his life as a rookie year. Comes back second year, he's a 39, 40% three-point shooter. Shoots better at the free throw line. This year, I expect to see a little bit more on-the-ball creation at R.J. Um, don't be surprised if they run eight to ten pick and rolls a game for him, and um, you know he can be productive in that area. I like their bench. Obi Toppin, he kept D Rose. They kept uh, Alec Burks, Mitchell Robinson. I really like Nerlens Noel. They kept on a decent deal. Um, so ultimately, I think that if they can get that offense from twenty second to like fifteenth, and maybe the defense slips from fourth to eighth. All of a sudden, I think this is a better team. Now, this better team equip, equate to staying in the four seed or moving up? I actually don't think that because, I, like I said in the last segment, I think the East has just gotten better this year. You look at Milwaukee, Brooklyn, those are locks. You look at Philly, you look at Boston, who I'll talk about later, Atlanta, uh, the Heat, uh, Chicago. Those are seven teams I just named right there who should be challenging for those top six spots. You know, Charlotte Hornets, I'm very high on. Um, the Pacers, you can kind of talk yourself into them if you're a Rick Carlisle believer. There's a lot of good teams in the Eastern Conference this year. So while I think the Knicks might be better and have a more sustainable process over time, they could slip into standings, and ultimately that's where I have them. Um, I touched on their style of play. I want more pick and roll, more offensive innovation, less Julius Isos. Um, because Thibodeau is going to coach a, a good defense, you know. So my prediction and projection for them is a better team to watch, a better team to kind of – a better sustainable recipe for regular season success. And it might not equate to more regular season success this year because of how good the Eastern, Eastern Conferences got on paper. But I think over time they'll build a better – longer lasting way of winning games and not just having to rely on winning 91 to 89 because the real realistic thing about the league is you know teams are going to make tough shots over you you know that's one thing the Knicks had going for them last year they held opponents to the lowest three-point uh shooting percentage in the league and if you just say there's some luck that goes into that and that regresses to the fourth 
lowest or fifth lowest, that's a big deal, you know, for an offense that's 22nd. So, like I said, if you just trade a little bit of that defense for a lot more offensive creation and scoring punch, I think it's good for them, man. And, and the last thing I wanted to touch on with the Knicks, don't be surprised if maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but this offseason, uh, um, a couple years from now, maybe, they, they make a big splash trade for one of the Kentucky or Louisville guys. You know, I'm thinking Carl Anthony Towns. I'm thinking Donovan Mitchell. Um, they've acquired a lot of tradable contracts. You know, you have Derrick Rose on $10 million a year. Alec Burks on 10 a year. Uh, Noel is on 8 or 9 a year, I believe. Fournier. Um, all of these are tradable contracts to match salary of a superstar player. And, you know, maybe you say, hey, Minnesota had another awful year. Cat's kind of just over it. He's from Jersey. It's close enough. Come play for the Knicks, man. We'll give you these pieces, a couple picks. Give us Cat to pair alongside Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and whatever we have going forward, you know. Donovan Mitchell, maybe the Jazz are another – Dynamite regular season team who flames out in the playoffs again, loses in the first round, and he's just like, man, I can't keep doing this. You got the connections in your front office um, with the World Wide West and all those guys, and you say, hey, what do you say? Obi Top and a couple picks, a couple of these contracts, you know, uh, you give us Donovan. And, 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 and all that uh, frustration goes away. You come play in, uh, in the, big, the Big Apple and MSG, Donovan. You, you know, you can talk yourself into these things, but it's only possible because of the amount of, like, middle-tier contracts the Knicks have accumulated. So I'm just saying be on the lookout for them as a possible big superstar trade tra- team, maybe not this year, but maybe next year or in the offseason. Uh, just trying to make a splash move for the next disgruntled superstar. <sighs> the next team I unfortunately have to talk about is the Boston Celtics. <laughs> as a Laker fan, uh, we don't like these guys, but trying to be as objective as possible here. Last year, they didn't have a very good season. Part of it was due to COVID and just their best players getting sick at the wrong time or getting hurt at the wrong time. Tristan Thompson wasn't a good addition for them last season. Uh, they finished 36-36, and 36, and uh, they were a 7th seed, ended up winning the play-in, their first playing game just to get 4-1 by the Nets in the first round, and it took a Tatum 50-point game for them to not get swept. Uh, some of the additions, Ennis Cantor, back with the team, Josh Richardson, Dennis Schroeder on a one-year deal, uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez, who I like, and they brought Al Horford back as well. Um, some losses we talked about in the last segment. They lost Kemba. They lost Evan Fournier. And I guess, in a sense, you can say they lost their head coach, Brad Stevens. Even though they didn't lose him, he's moved on up to front office duties. And uh, their new head coach, Neil Long's husband, uh, Ime Yudoka, uh, longtime assistant of the Bucks, well-touted, well-respected, and um by all accounts, he's going to be a very, very good coach in this league. Um, the players rave about him. Uh, Brad Stevens has raved about him. And, I, and there seems to be a lot of good buzz coming out from him, and I hope he does well. Um, so 
what do we need to say about the Celtics here? Last year, they were 10th in offensive rating, 13th in defensive rating. So, you know, top third in offense, you know, middle of the pack defensively. So that kind of equates to a 36 and 36 team, you know. I like the addition of Schroeder for some scoring punch off the bench, which is so frustrating in my opinion because as a Laker fan, that's all I envisioned when we signed, when we traded for Dennis Schroeder last year was, man, we are going to kill bench units with this Schroeder, Montrez, Harrell pick and roll. And Schroeder was never completely bought into being a backup, you know, a six-man anymore. He was like, nah, I want to start. And I think, you know, over the regular season, he kind of earned that. He was good. But I think, man, he could have been the most optimized coming off the bench in a campaign, Lou Williams type of role. Like, hey, man, we just need buckets right now. We don't need you to have to fit alongside LeBron or fit alongside AD. You run pick and roll with Harold or Drummond, who we got later, and and you tear up second units because you can score the ball. And I think that's what he's going to do uh, playing with the Celtics. I think that's their vision for him uh, to run some pick and roll game with Robert Williams or Ennis Cancer, who they added. Josh Richardson, a lot of people are high on that addition. I wasn't, you know, like he's he's fine. He's an average player. He's always been a little bit more highly touted just off of his potential, but none of it's turned kinetic. You know what I mean? Like, none of it is actually amassed besides maybe a half season in Miami. So if they can get anything out of him, that will be big. I don't see a lot coming out of it from, from, from that point of, uh, point of view. But we'll see. You know, I've been around before. I'm not – I don't have all the answers. I just, I, I didn't love the move like a lot of people did. As far as their style of play goes, it's going to be kind of the same old, same old, man. It's going to be a lot of high ball screen for Tatum and Brown. It's going to be a lot of ISO mid-range touches for Tatum and Brown. And this kind of feeds into my biggest question is, can Ime Udoka can he get Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to be successful on the same play? What do I mean by that? You know, when I think of LeBron and AD, I think those guys can both be successful on the same play. I think LeBron can run a high ball screen. AD can set the high ball screen, roll to the rim. LeBron makes the pocket pass. AD gets a dunk. Both players were successful on that play. They comp- their games complemented each other to both be successful on that play. Why? LeBron made, he gained the advantage, AD finished the play. I think of guys like Luka and pretty much any center. (laughs) The center sets the screen or pops. Luka's gravity draws all the attention and a good result happens eight to nine times out of ten. You know, I look in the Eastern Conference, I see James Harden and Kevin Durant. They can screen for one another. If you want to say you're going to switch that, that's fine. That means your second best defender is now on KD, and he might be able to cook that guy easier than he could cook your best defender. You know what I'm saying? Things like that. So if you tell me could Tatum and Brown run those same sort of actions or it's just on screen for each other kind of thing, Sure, but it's different than Harden and KD in that sense, or 
Curry and Draymond or Curry and Clay because those are such like sized players. Uh, Tatum and Brown, they're such like sized players where it's like, how much of an advantage are you really gaining uh, screening for each other in that sense? Uh, isolation, like if Jalen Brown has a mid range ISO touch and Jason Tatum's in the other corner, I guess in theory that's them being successful on the same play because Tatum spaces it for Jalen to operate. But if you ask Jason Tatum, that's probably not successful to him because he's like, bro, I want to be involved in the play. I ain't trying to stand here in this corner. And vice versa, you know. Um, cutting actions, I feel like, could be something that could help them out a lot. More off-ball movement. I think Jalen Brown's gotten a lot better in his off-ball movement. But generally, I just don't see how those guys both are optimized on the same action, same principle. And my question is, can uh, – Udoka get that out of them, you know? Can he find more ways, more clever ways for them to both have a real impact on each other? You know, defensively, it, it works because they can switch matchups. They're versatile. They can both rebound amongst the, the, the bigger guys and things like that. But offensively is where I want to see it because it doesn't feel uh, like a mutualism. It doesn't feel cohesive. It feels more your turn, my turn. And I think the more they can get out of that and the more they can get into it being a mutual partnership, I think that's where you'll see the ceiling of the Celtics. Unfortunately, I don't see that happening. My ceiling for them is anywhere from the five seed to maybe the four seed if things go wrong in Philly and Miami. I think they could be better than those teams uh, just off of their, um, their talent at the top. For all I said about how they don't complement each other, there's still two top 25 players, two top 30 players in the league. Um, so I don't want to harp on that too much. But realistically, man, I see this team flirting with the six through eight range all season long. I think you could say their positive outlook is a four or five seed. I think their negative one is, hey, they're in eighth or ninth. Just someone got injured, someone got hurt. Uh, the team doesn't have the same chemistry. It was hard to adjust to the new coach, whatever you want to say. I find it somewhere in the middle, six to eight, which is a big deal because, as you remember, there's a playing tournament now where sixth place is the last guaranteed spot into the playoffs. If you're seventh, you go into the tournament, and you could lose two games in the playing tournament and not make the playoffs. So realistically, I have them anywhere from six to eight, and I kind of want to lean towards the sixth more than the eighth. So. I'll give Boston the benefit of the doubt there as we get into our last team. So team, the Toronto Raptors. The Toronto Raptors. Um, not gonna lie to you, man. This is going to be the worst team in the division. Kind of like the Pacific that I covered in the last one. It's like there's four teams that could make the playoffs, and then there's the fifth team. <laughs> like playing is their absolute ceiling let's just get that out of the way man I don't think this team's going to be very good uh last year they weren't very good if you want to blame that on them not being in Toronto having to live in Tampa be away from their actual homes actual families actual routines sure thing no problem not mad at that but I actually look at the talent on this roster and it's not that bad you know you got Fred Van Vliet I really like him do I like him as your best player or your second best player I don't uh, Pascal Siakam, same thing. Very good player. Do I like him as your best player? 
Second best player? No, I don't think so. OG Ananobi, the perfect, perfect, perfect role player for anyone trying to win a title. He's won a title, being that guy. Um, do I love him as your third leading scorer? The guy you're counting on to get buckets and defend the best player all the time? I don't love it. I don't love it. You know, um, I, I like the the draft pick of Scotty Barnes. It was a bit of a zag from, you know, consensus had him taking Jalen Suggs. It was like the comp for him was like baby Kyle Lowry, just a winner, competitor, feisty, can do everything good, doesn't do anything super great other than just compete and be a dog. Um, but they didn't want to go in that direction with the, with the uh, two small guards in the backcourt. Um, which I'm not mad at. You know, Scotty Barnes is a good player. He's a very versatile guy. I'm glad he ended up in Toronto because for those who haven't watched him, his game isn't that of a top five pick offensively in the sense of clear the side, Scotty's going to get us a bucket. He's not that type of player. He's more in the Draymond ilk of, hey, let's involve Scotty initiating offense. Let's involve Scotty, you know, being the screener, catching on the short roll and making a play out of there. Let's have Scotty guard the other team's point guard one position and the other team's power forward the next. He's more of that ilk, you know. So I think Toronto can use him in a lot of creative ways. And that's really what I want to see from this Toronto team, man. I want their style to be this frenetic, high tempo. They have great athletes. I mentioned OG, Scotty, uh, Precious Achua, who they end up getting in the Kyle Lowry signing trade. Uh, Gary Trent Jr., uh, who they acquired last season. I want them to be frenetic, up and down, and just focus on the development of those four players. OG, Scotty, GTJ, and Precious Achua. Because ultimately, those are the four guys they've invested a lot in, both picks, time, money. I want those guys to be the forefront of this season, you know. Siakam's looking like he's going to miss the start of the regular season. And Van Vliet, he's, a, he's, a, he's cool with it, man. He's a good team guy. He's, he's made his money. He's going to be the connector of the team, the glue guy, kind of like how Kyle Lowry was last season where it's like, hey, man, I know we ain't winning the title this year. I know we ain't probably going to make the playoffs this year. Let me show you guys how to play basketball and put, put us in positions to be competitive. And ultimately, that's what I want out of this Raptors team. I don't want them to try and go for it. I want them to lean into the development and play these young guys a lot of minutes. Chris Boucher, I really like. I wouldn't be surprised if this is a seller at the deadline, you know. And in these first few games, first few months, they get guys playing really well, up their value, get a high pick, and then try and bottom out near the end of the year where they can Maybe try and get one more lottery pick, one more top lottery guy, and then go for it next year maybe. Because this year, it's not looking on the cards. I just don't think there's enough top-end talent on this roster. For as well as they compete and as hard as they play, I just think this year should be prioritized more on the development of the guys who you envision being your core going forward. And that's kind of where I'm at with them, man. I don't want to spend too much on their prediction, I think. Ceiling of ceilings, if they do go for it, nine seed, ten seed, like one of those teams in the play-in who have to win two games. 
But I think realistically, man, they're going to be anywhere from like 10 to like 13. I honestly don't see a world in which this team is a nailed on playoff team. And, you know, so if you aren't that and you kind of have that expectation going into the season, if you're a realistic person in that front office, why not just lean into the youth and lean into development? And that's kind of where I am with the Raptors, man. That concludes my Atlantic division breakdown. We'll have another pod episode out for you guys tomorrow. I appreciate y'all so much for listening. Thank y'all for coming back to all the old members. Um, It felt good to see the amount of listens after a long time off. Um, Means I got a loyal fan base. Not fan base. Let me stop. (laughs) It means I have a loyal group of uh, people who listen to the pod. And um, I'm so excited for this season, man. We're going to have Adam back on. We're going to have Bailey back on. We're going to have friend Joey. It's going to be a few more guests. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really up my game this year, man. And I'm just excited for it all. But without any further ado, thank you all so much for listening to this one. And I'll see you in the next one.